you know, it was just all over. I mean, we just didn't fight. And, and uh, we all, me included, coaches, players, have to take responsibility for that, and it's inexcusable. Um, you know, we can come up with some reasons, but it's still inexcusable. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I am Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLD.com and The Advocate. Here today, Thursday afternoon, after another national TV embarrassment, uh, the Pelicans have had a couple of just really rough ones on on national TV this season. Um, I didn't I didn't think that game was going to be pretty. I mean, the Nets are just absurdly talented. I mean, they're bringing Blake Griffin in to be their backup power forward off the bench. As advertised. <laughs> and the Pelicans are missing four rotation players. So I didn't necessarily expect it to be close, but I don't know. Maybe I was expecting it not to be a blowout until like the third or fourth quarter. I mean, that game was over with pretty much two minutes to go in, in the first half. Um, Jeff, where are you just at right now um, in terms of the Pelicans' chances of making this play in tournament? They're two games back of the Golden State Warriors for 10th place, down four rotation players right now. It looks like they're going to get Brandon Ingram and Carlos Jr. back sooner rather than later. The other two guys, Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, are going to be out for weeks. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything has really changed after the Nets game, right? Like, you knew you knew that was uh, probably going to be ugly, and it was. I mean, the Nets are essentially an all-star team <laughs> at this point, and that's just not... The, the only way the Pelicans have a chance to even compete in that game is to keep the game low scoring, and I think the Nets had 70 at halftime. They had 113 uh, <laughs> late in the third quarter. That's not a way you're going to beat any team, Uh with the state of the roster as it is, let alone, you know, probably the favorite. They have to be the favorite to win the title at this point. So, I mean, that that is what it is. But the larger question of do, what are their odds to make the play-in tournament, I think they're still pretty solid. And they're two games behind the Warriors, but that's not really the team I look at. Um, they only need to pass one. And I think the Spurs are the team that when you look at who could fall out, they, they really jump to mind. Because you look at the remainder of their schedule. Uh, <laughs> they have the second most difficult schedule remaining. Uh, if you look at Tankathon, they have the strength of schedule index. One of the easiest games left for them is the Pelicans. Uh, it's actually listed as one of their easiest games. And I think that's pretty telling. Like 19 of their 22 games left come against playoff teams. Um, so we're kind of in the same situation as we were last year. It's less about what the Pelicans can do versus, you know, what the setup is down the stretch. We never actually got to see how that played out last year. Um, but I think that's really what you look at. I, I'm not going to get too caught up in whether they make the play-in tournament or not because that's really not what the takeaways – where you'll kind of get the takeaways from this season. But I think the odds of them getting there are solid. Um the thing I always end up doing at this point in the season is going to 538's playoff odds. They were at like 28%, uh, I want to say two days ago, which is would put them in the 10 seed um, right behind the Grizzlies. So, I mean, I, I think that the nothing has changed beyond you have to take care of business down the stretch. Yeah, I think I agree with you that if there is a team they can pass, it's probably the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know that necessarily Golden State is is you know the team they're going to jump in front of um I mean if you just if you just look at you know that game last night I mean it kind of looked like the teams were playing two different completely completely different sports 
I mean, at one point in the game, the Pelicans had a lineup out there that was Eric Bledsoe, Najee Marshall, James Johnson, Jackson Hayes, and Billy Hurd and Gomez. And you're going against a team <laughs> that can just like rain hellfire from three down on you, even though they didn't have James Harden. I mean, it just like it was like a <laughs> right. team. It was like a team plucked from 1997. And they dropped didn't in have and just, James Harden. <laughs> yeah, it was like a team from 1997, like, and just dropped in against just like, you know, the most dangerous killing machine of of 2021. I mean, it was like a difference in two decades in terms of the playing style. It's remarkable. I mean, it's hard to even you can't even put that team in perspective because even the Warriors didn't have this team. Even the Durant, Clay, Steph, Draymond Warriors did not have. Blake Griffin coming off the bench, uh, you know DeAndre Jordan. I don't, I don't even know. Um, but again, that's not the team the Pelicans should be measuring themselves against at this point in their kind of whatever you want to call it, advanced rebuild. You know, build the plane as you fly it kind of thing. I think the game against the Hawks is a better measuring stick, which we'll talk about too. But you know, I said this a few weeks back, and I'm going to say it again, which is you know that's the game that you expect the Pelicans to lose. That's not the game that's going to move the needle. The games against the Pistons, the uh, Thunder, the Hornets, those are the games that if you won them, this would look completely different. But the the games against the Blazers, the Nuggets, those are games you're supposed to lose. So (laughs) those aren't going to change anything unless you already have lost the games you should have won. And then you have to win those games. Um, So when you talk about them making the playoffs, it's a lot more about beating the bad teams than it is beating the good teams. No, I, I agree with you there. Um, and, you know, I think not winning a game against the Atlanta Hawks this season, mm-hmm. like, that's that's just a failure. Like, that's kind of, you know, one of those games where you kind of need to get, you know, at least one of those. Um, you know, I thought really the story of this three-game road trip just just was the three-point arc. Um, and, you know, the, the Pelicans in kind of their diminished – state they just they just have no shooting I mean they have no shooting around Zion Williamson like teams could really just pack the pain on them and you know like Zion always faces a wall but he was really facing you know a wall um, against the Brooklyn Nets you know Lonzo Ball kind of bailed them out in that game against the Rockets um, with his three-point shooting that was good to see you know, they shot it poorly the next two games and then Atlanta went 20 of 31 from three-point range <laughs> Brooklyn shut 19 of 41. You know, that third quarter from the Hawks was, I mean, pretty incredible. 11 for 11. I've I've never really seen shot making like that. Um, you know, after the game, Stan Van Gundy, the Pelicans players, they, they, they mostly chalked it up to, there were a few things we could have done better, but like we just had to tip our hats to them, which, you know, generally I agree with. Um, you know, if we want to get into like the Atlanta game specifically, you know, I think that was a game where I was watching where I kept thinking, man, I really wish they had Drew Holiday because I feel like the way to kind of get at Atlanta is to have a guard who can kind of body Trey Young and like physically impose his will, which is something Drew Holiday is really good at. I mean, they just like Trey Young just went wherever he wanted on the court. I mean, they couldn't do anything with him. If you breathe on him, you know, he flops and goes to the free throw line. Um, But yeah, I mean, if there was, you know, the Atlanta game was one, you know, maybe they could have had, um, you're, I think you're right that there was just nothing they really could have done against Brooklyn to win that game. Yeah, I, I after the Bulls game earlier this season where they hit, what, 26, 20, or how many threes in three quarters? I know the franchise record. I didn't think I'd see any crazier of a shooting display 
than I did in that game, but we got it against the Hawks. And yeah, I agree with you. Like I went through a lot of those shots, those made shots. And, you know, you want to be able to say, wow, we could have done this differently. We could have done that differently. A lot of those shots were contested. Two of them were from the logo. They just went in. The The Hawks got in a rhythm. And I think when you want, if you want to look at something and say, okay, how do you stop these great shooters from getting in a rhythm has to be done before, <laughs> before they start raining fire. Um, one thing I noticed the past few games, and especially in the Hawks game, is they just didn't allow the Pelicans to get into a rhythm. Whenever they got out on the break, they gave the foul instantly. You know, uh, Danilo Gallinari gave a gave his third foul in the first half just to stop the Pelicans from getting downhill, and I think that kept them from getting into an offensive rhythm. And you know, maybe that's a, something you look at. I don't know if the Pelicans the Pelicans don't seem to do that very often. They allow a lot of easy buckets where they could have given a foul and just made this possession restart. Um, and maybe that's what you do when a team is going nuts from the three-point land. Just, you know, m- make them feel it. Give a few fouls. Make them run some more offense and and hope that they kind of lose that. I don't know. But that was an insane display of shooting. For whatever reason, Bogdan Bogdanovich loves playing the Pelicans. He's, he's In his last three games, he's averaged like 22 points on like 70% shooting. Um and that's, that's tough because I think that is a game they could have won uh, if not for that insane shooting display. It was a lot closer than you would have expected given that level of shooting. In, in most games where you, <laughs> where you lost 70% shooting from the three-point line, you're going to lose that game like you did against the Nets. Um, but there's only so much you can do there. Well, Bogdanovich lit them on fire in the bubble. Uh, that, yep. was, that was the game against the Kings. Like They pretty much had to win that one and... and when they didn't, you know, I, I can't remember how many they gave up, but it was like around 140. That was the game where you're like, okay, I mean, this is just definitely not going to happen for the Pelicans in the bubble. Um, you know, what I've noticed is Stan Gundy, I mean, he seemed he seemed pretty down after these last two games. And my kind of read on the situation, I guess, is I think there's frustration that, you know, after, after that game against the Minnesota Timberwolves when they gave up 135, they had actually defended pretty well. I mean, they had a nine-game stretch from March 12th to March 29th, ending with that Boston game. Uh, they were 13th in defensive efficiency. And then kind of all these injuries start. Um, you know, Josh Hart and Akil Alexander-Walker, um, probably their best two perimeter defenders. I mean, I, I think I would probably put both those guys a little bit ahead of Lonzo um, to me. I mean, Lonzo's a pretty good defender, but two of their three best perimeter defenders uh, most definitely, those guys are going to be out for weeks. I mean, that's just that's just kind of crushing. I mean, I I really felt like they had made some progress defensively, you know, after that Boston game, and it felt like it it had kind of been building into something. If you remember the like, the play uh, the play in that game where they clinched it, Josh Hart kind of locked up Jason Tatum on the last possession. Zion came over to help. They got the rebound. Like that was great stuff. And now, you know, I think largely because of these injuries you know, they're, they're sort of back to square one on, on the defensive end. So I think that's kind of my read on where the source of frustration is for Stan Van Gundy. It's like, oh, God, we're really back here again? Yeah, there was very, very much like disappointed dad vibes after the uh, Nets game, especially. <laughs> it was just like, you can ask me questions, but hey, you're going to get the same answer. We just, we're not good. We're bad. I, I need to figure out why, but there's no answers right now. Um, and it is kind of funny when you look at it and, 
you know, earlier this season, we talked about this log jam at guard. There's so many guards. You can't find minutes for Kyra. <laughs> you can't find enough minutes for Nikhil. And now we're in a situation where Isaiah Thomas literally gets signed off the street and he is a, he, he is a integral piece in this rotation two games into his 10 day contract. Uh, <laughs> the only healthy guard they've had off the bench the last two games, right. Isaiah Thomas, a guy who prior to uh, Tuesday, his last NBA game was 14 months ago. That's been their only healthy yeah. guard off the bench. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I'm a huge Isaiah Thomas fan, but uh, defense has never been his forte. <laughs> and uh, Pelicans kind of need defense right now. Um, like it's much, you know, isn't as frustrating as Nikhil can and has been on the offensive side of the ball in some of his decision making. He's a good defensive guard. You know, Kyra's another guy who can get into people. Uh, both have good size. That's not the case with the guys they have there now outside of Lonzo Ball. And uh, when you're going against a team that is just going to tear you apart from the perimeter like the last two nights, you're going to see it, especially later in the game. I think that there's, you know, uh, credence to the fact that, you know, they're very thin on the perimeter and the Hawks took over in the third quarter. You know, I mean, I think that there is fatigue that's going to set in, especially when you don't have an energy guy, a hustle guy like Josh Hart. You know, I think as bad as the defense has been, I think you've seen the last couple of nights um, how much he does improve that defense. Um, and losing that glue guy is, uh, you know, even you look at the Celtics, they played without Marcus Smart, very similar players in that regard. And they struggled mightily without him in the lineup. They finally kind of gotten it back together. And I think, you know, the, that those are pretty clear indications that when you lose a guy like that, your defense as a team is going to suffer. And uh, I think that's what you're seeing right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the loss of Josh Hart is is hugely important. And, you know, the team said Wednesday that he had successful surgery to repair the UCL and his right thumb. He's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. I mean, there are only five weeks of season left. And, you know, Josh Hart is going to be a restricted free agent this summer. Um, he's like a he's a super tough guy. I mean, he, he even stayed in that game against the Magic after he did tear his UCL. I think he wound up with 16 rebounds or something like that and you know after the game he even said like man there's no way I'm missing the next game like he was adamant that like <laughs> they were gonna have to like basically you know lock him in the locker room for him not to get back on the court um I don't I don't think he thought that he was dealing with anything that was gonna be that serious so that was a real bummer I mean that's just a guy who who loves to play who I think you know is about the right things it seems like 98, 99% of the time he's been on the court this season, he's guarding a guy who's two or three inches taller than him. You know, that's just the way it's kind of broke for him because of the way the Pelicans roster is constructed. They just don't have a lot of depth behind Zion Williamson and Brandon Inger at the forward spot. So he's a, a very, very important player, and that's a significant loss. Um, can we can we talk about the Isaiah Thomas experience um, so far, two games in? Um, I've actually – I covered Isaiah a little bit in Denver – you know, this was kind of, you know, sort of when he was on the way down a little bit, you know, he was, he bounced around from four teams after his time with the Celtics. Um, one of my takeaways from just, you know, getting to hear him speak a couple times, um, a couple media availabilities, that guy has an incredible amount of charisma. Like that guy just has it. He's, a, you know, as a fellow short man, he's, he's <laughs> like a contender to be on the Mount Rushmore of great short men. Yeah. Like last pick in the draft. I mean, like, last pick. Not second round, not kind of like diamond in the rough. 
literally the last pick in the draft. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of remarkable in and of itself. Um, I think all you need to know about Isaiah Thomas, he played for the Celtics for three seasons. Maybe four. I think it was three. But, like, that's nothing at all. He is a legend in Boston <laughs> after that time. Uh, and, like... When they traded him for Kyrie Irving, they traded him Jay Crowder and a first-round pick that became Colin Sexton. Uh, like, there was uproar. Like, the, you know, obviously a lot of fans were excited about getting Kyrie Irving, but I think there was an equal number of fans that were like, "How can you trade this guy?" Um, even though they're, you know, when you when your star player is five seven or whatever he is, you know, that kind of limits your ceiling a little bit. Oh, um, well, five seven. He's five foot nine. Give him a little bit of credit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but either way, 5'9 is, you know, it, it's not like we're not talking about Muggsy Bogues here, but we are talking about a scoring point guard. Uh, shouldn't be able to do what he does at 5'9. Uh, and so, like, the fact that he, he is revered in Boston, I don't know if you were covering the Nuggets when he went back to Boston for the first time, but like that kind of return uh, tribute video that they played, I mean, Every team, you know, every team has had that experience at some point or another. That one just hit different. Like there was real emotion in that building, um, and the, what he did there was incredible. I mean, the when he dropped fifty three points in the playoffs, it was on his late sister's birthday. She had died like a month earlier in a car crash, uh, and like they showed kind of the the interviews and the clips from that moment in that video. And I recommend people go watch it. And it's like it gives you chills. Uh, like he started crying at the scores table before he went in the game and then he immediately like airballed his first shot so I think <laughs> I think he got to him a little bit but yeah I mean it's I don't if you don't root for that guy I'm not sure you have like a pulse yeah and it was actually only two and a half seasons with Boston he right. mid-season trade and then two full seasons after so yeah it wasn't even that much time and you know he he has you know left such an imprint there it's pretty incredible um, you know, one of the things I've noticed just it, after these two games is just the outpouring of support league wide. Like he's cool with everybody. And it seems like everybody, even in the league, not just the media, but like the players and the coaches and everyone is rooting for him. I mean, he just, he got a raw deal with, with that hip, you know, tried to play through it. It looked like he was going to be in line for payday. It never happened. So he had, he finally had the surgery. Um, I believe it was like a hip shearing surgery. I don't want to get it like too far into the mechanics of it, but it seems like sounds unpleasant. Yeah. It seems like he finally, you know, had like the, the major surgery that he needed to get that thing. Right. And, you know, he, he seemed ecstatic after that game at Atlanta. I mean, he said that, you know, he didn't even have to ice the hip, um, which was obviously something he was doing for years. Um, so I'm just, I'm just really happy for him and I'm, I'm rooting for him. He's only on a 10 day. So, We'll see what happens, um, but I hope he finds a place in the league because, I mean, he's just a fun guy to watch. He's a great competitor, and, uh, you, I mean, you, like you said, you can't help but root for him. Yeah, and, I mean, this guy's only 32 years old. You kind of you kind of look at him as if he's this, like, longtime player that's just kind of bouncing around like the Vince Carter type uh, that finds its way onto rosters. He's 32. You know, it feels like a lifetime ago that he was scoring 53 points in the playoffs. It was 2017. <laughs> I mean, it's not that far away. And I don't know, you know, who knows what's going to happen after this 10-day contract with the Pelicans. But I think there's a very realistic scenario where, you know, he could be 
the a Lou Williams type, a Jamal Crawford type guy that, that a team picks up as a sixth man or, you know, a rotation guy and is an instant offense off the bench. So, like, whether it happens with the Pelicans, I think that, you know, you have to root for the guy one way or another, and that's kind of where I'm at with him. It was cool to see him. I think he had eight straight points against the Hawks, and that was uh, that was cool. You know, I was kind of waiting for him to <laughs> to have one go in, and uh, I think he had a nice lob to Jackson last night. Um, I'm interested to see how this develops for him, especially because he's going to get time. There's no way around it. Yeah, I mean, I think the Pelicans, it's it's, you know, not like the ideal fit. I mean, I think, you know, he needs to be in lineups where they can kind of protect him defensively, you know, where they're long. Um, the Pelicans just aren't that, especially in their current state. But, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm glad that he's getting an oppor- another opportunity here. Um, you know, I'm these, these last two games have been discouraging to me. I mean, there's no question about it. But, you know, when I still look at the season as a whole, I, I really do think they're – there are some real positives and you know I saw uh Schmidt Dua who you know we both know pretty well and are friends with kind of tweeting about um the point Zion thing and the two-man net ratings with Zion you know pre-February 1st and post-February 1st and you know I said that I think this is the most significant development of the Pelican season you know we've talked about this a lot um and I I kind of stand by that um you know is as disappointing as the Pelicans have been record-wise, like I, I, I don't think they're going to make the play-in tournament. I think they're probably headed to the lottery. Um, I don't want to say this year's a success, but I think the fact that you've figured out kind of what Zion is, I think that's successful. Um, if that makes sense to you, like I think that's, I think it's pretty significant that you know we have more than two months of tape here. The Pelicans are fourth in offense or whatever since. They just pretty much put the ball in Zion's hands. Um, I know, you know, that the game against the Nets, it was uh, his worst game in weeks. But overall, when I look at the big picture, I mean, I think that has been the biggest positive of the season to me and why, you know, I'm not that down, even though I was refreshing the tankathon odds this morning, I have to be <laughs> honest. But I'm not down when I look at the season as a whole. No, and I mean, the... I'm glad that I'm glad that we're finally on the same page here because I've been trying to say that for in different ways for uh, like a month and a half at this point. Uh, in like, whoa, whoa finally on the on same Twitter. page, finally on the same page. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been pointing the point Zion thing out before anybody. Oh no, so, no, not, okay. not point Zion. Just the okay. general idea that like, if Zion's needle is pointing up, the Pelicans' needle is pointing up, regardless of what happens around in terms of the season, in terms of the play-in tournament. Zion and Brandon Ingram and kind of that core is the trajectory of this season and the trajectory of the franchise. I don't care about a play-in tournament. I don't care about, uh, you know, whether they can hold a lead in the fourth quarter right now because that's not the worry right now. The, the, the issue is making this team competitive for the next decade. And I agree with you completely. Um, <laughs> but I, I did feel like I was the only one driving the bus of – of like this can be a successful season without making the play-in tournament, but either way, you were you were you were close. You were you were like in the second row. In the second row. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, okay, but you know, going coming back around to that, yeah, I, I mean, we are kind of in the point of the season for me that every time Zion, you know, gets a tweak on the floor, I like have a minor panic attack. Um, <laughs> because you are almost at that point where the season is, this season is kind of 
you know, one way or another, whether you make the playing tournament or not, it feels kind of like, okay, we've learned what we're going to learn. And now you watch all these guys get hurt. You watch guys have to play extended minutes and you don't want to see Zion pick up some sort of, you know, this season and next season altering injury in these games that don't really mean that much against teams that the Pelicans aren't going to beat without, you know, their other star players. Um, he, he had uh, he had another episode of his running shoe versus Zion um, epic duel last night where his shoe like flipped out from underneath him. It just fell off. I don't know how that happens throughout the course of an NBA game, but it did. And he went down awkwardly and he looked he looked like he tweaked something to me. I was a little concerned in the next possession yeah, or the possession after that. He didn't get up the floor um, and he didn't. And then he missed two free throws badly uh, before halftime. His streak of 20-point games ended, uh, which, you know, whatever you want to say about that, it did. Uh, and uh, Oh, he didn't that, beat Shaq's record. Oh, my gosh, he only tied it. What a bum. <laughs> the season is lost. The only good thing has ended. Um, but, no, I, and, like, I, I would not be surprised if Zion gets shut down. That's kind of where I'm going with this. As you get later in the season, if they end up two, three games out of – the final playoff spot and with like 15 games left, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if the Pelicans are looking at that saying this isn't worth it, you know, and just move on to next season. I wouldn't be surprised. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying like, this is that time of year where you have a star player who has been remarkably healthy and has suddenly started to get nicked up as the team gets nicked up and is everything's really falling off the rails uh, the last few nights. I think, I'm just trying to set the expectation that like that's not outside the realm of possibility. Okay, I don't, I don't want to. I'm not ready to, and like even talk <laughs> about right. uh, that possible reality yet. Um, so, all right, we. I think, I think why these last two months have been important is, like, we understand a little bit more, uh, a little more fully what Zion is. I mean, I think, you know, he's a guy who's like, gonna be the lead ball handler more often than not for you, and you know, I think he's kind of proven that you can have a good offense, even in the half court, if that's the case. Um, you know, if you just look at the half court offense splits pre and post February 1st, they're ninth in half court offense since February 1st, according to Cleaning Glass, they were 23rd um, before February 1st. So now that we understand kind of what he is, let me ask you this. What, what types of players or what types of skills would you most prioritize putting around him? Because I think we have all right, this is our number one guy, and this is what he is. So what types of complementary pieces do you want to see around him, and how do you optimize that? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this has been the case since day one, and I don't think it's changed. They need shooting. I mean, one way or another, whether he's on the ball or whether he's operating in the post, you need to have some kind of shooting on the perimeter to, to extend the defense somewhat. Um, the fact that he's been able to succeed despite, you know, this crowded paint uh, situation that they've been facing almost every night just speaks to how good he is. But life would be a lot easier for Zion if he had, you know, even one knockdown shooter outside of Brandon Ingram. Um, and Lonzo, Lonzo is looking closer and closer to being that. But what you saw over the last two nights is the consistency, while it's better than it has been, isn't quite there yet. I mean, what did he start one for eleven from three against the Rocket or the Hawks? Uh, uh, you know, a couple days after 
everyone was praising his shot, his shot mechanics and improvement. You know, that's that's the type of inconsistency that, you know, you see less and less of, but it, it, it is still there. And outside of those two guys, you just don't see it. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think that that much has changed in the sense that a wing that can shoot is still a huge need for this team, um, even though James Johnson has given them a bit of that uh, over the last three games, which another guy who I've been impressed with, um, good to see for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, like every like everybody who understands anything about basketball can see that they need to continue to add shooting around Zion Williamson. I mean, I think that's fairly obvious. Um, you know, Lonzo thing is interesting. Like, I think there is a question of how valuable a player is he offensively because he's got, you know, some clear strengths and some clear weaknesses. I mean, if you just look at the three-point shooting from him as a whole, up above 38% on on more than eight attempts per game like that's just that's just fantastic stuff um I still don't know how much gravity he has like how much does he make defenses fear him but he's come a long way and I you know I I give him a lot of credit um you know I've seen a couple people say like well what if they you know try to kind of mimic what Houston did around James Harden um and and just you know put like three and D wings around him and like Eventually, you could switch a lot of stuff, and Zion will just be that creator in the middle of the floor. I don't. I mean, I, I think like, yes, if you can add three and D wings, that's a good thing. I don't. I don't know if I'm in love with that idea. And I guess why I would say that is that I don't think Zion is like a guy who wants to just be ISO, ISO, ISO. You know, ten times in a row like Harden was doing in Houston. Like, I don't. To me, that doesn't seem like the way he wants to play the game. I mean, I think. I think Zion, you know, gets joy from the game when, like, the ball is popping and, and it's flying around. I mean, he, they need to, you know, have enough spacing on the floor to create driving lanes for him. But I don't know that, like, you know, trying to mimic um, Harden in Houston is the best way to go about this, if it makes sense. Yeah, I think – I don't think that shrinking the team is is the way to go. If Whereas, like, Harden can – is able to operate within this system where you don't have a guy over six, eight. I don't think that that is the way to go, but I do think that it raises your floor of where you don't need a traditional point guard on the floor with him all the time. Um, and you know, it, it allows you to get a little more creative with the two and the three spots or whatever you want to call them. Uh, if you want to play Zion plays the Zion, which I'm stealing that from Shamit, but it does kind of feel af- accurate is Zion's position is Zion. Uh, like it kind of gives you a little more flexibility with those, you know, with the guard spots where, you know, you don't like, need like a combo guard, like Nikhil Alexander Walker. He makes sense to me in that situation, right, or just like a combo right. guard. You don't necessarily need the the traditional point guard um, because he's not going to be on the ball anyway. So he's kind he can kind of get lost in that in that situation if you if you don't have it kind of coordinated correctly. I think that's where you can you can take advantage of that um, rather than taking all the size off the floor. Um, you can. You can prioritize defense at that, you know, at those guard spots. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm really curious to see, you know, what happens at center. I mean, I think that's one of the more interesting questions. Um, you know, I think I think Stephen is a, a fine stopgap solution, but um, I think you know they probably have to be looking at alternative solutions. You know, moving forward, um, you know, I think he's owed 17 million over the next two seasons. Um, 
I think that's a movable deal, especially with the draft capital that they have. And I think not not the problem with Steven. I mean, I think he's been fine, but on the defensive end, you know, he's not a guy who's going to erase mistakes. I mean, they're they're on pace to give up the most threes of all time, but also if you look at their their defense at the rim, I mean, they don't really protect the rim that well either. Um, and I think on offense, um, you know, obviously Steven's not a three-point threat. That's fine. But he's not really an over-the-top threat either. And, you know, I think you'd like to have at least one of those things where the guy, a center next to Zion, can't step behind the three-point arc and not that shot down. Like, he's at least a lob in a rim-running threat. And Steven right now isn't really that guy. I mean, I think, you know, the vision of that the David Griffin kind of laid out before the 2019 draft of this uber-athletic front court of of Zion Williamson, Jackson Hayes, like that's starting to make a little bit of sense to me. I mean, I don't think Jackson is ready to take over as the starting center next year. I think they're going to do something. Um, but I, I I think you probably have to at least explore making a move um, at center long term is, I guess, where I'm going with this. Yeah, well, what I've seen from Steven Adams, is I don't think Steven Adams is a, is, is a worse defender than he was previously in his career I think he's the same guy but um more so he's the type of guy who can you know join a good defensive team and make it a great defensive team he's a he's a paint stopper I don't think he's the type of guy who can you know really raise the floor of a bad defense because he doesn't have the foot speed or the mobility of of a Rudy Gobert who can you know, as you said, erase mistakes. You can, you know, come over and make a play on uh, after a guy gets blown by on the perimeter. He's tough as nails. He makes you a tougher basketball team. He rebounds the hell out of the ball. He's a good basketball player. But yeah, I mean, the the issue is this is not a good defensive basketball team. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to correct that enough throughout the course of that deal to make it worth it. Um, and if if there's a move out there to be made, then yeah, I think they're right to explore it. Um, Jackson, I, I waffle on on him as a defense as a defender quite frequently, but I am continually impressed by his mobility to get to the perimeter and to defend perimeter players, especially in the pick and roll. Um, he just it's it's an element of Stephen Adams' game that is probably at the bottom. Uh, of what he does well. Um, and <laughs> the issue is there is like no middle ground there. <laughs> Either you have a guy who can extend and get to the perimeter or you have a guy who's going to play tough in the paint. You don't have both. <laughs> so you go through like stretches of games where, you know, it, it, it just drastically shifts one way uh, to the other. And that's just not a good way to win basketball games. I guess the middle ground is Willie. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we really saw, especially those games against Portland, um, just how tough it is for Steven, you know, to be out there in the perimeter and the pick and roll against those really good guards. I mean, I guess Damian Lillard, he tortures everybody, but he especially has had the Pelicans in their pick and roll defense in the freaking torture chamber when they played this season. Yeah. Um, I as felt far bad as... uh, for Steven against <laughs> Kyrie last night. They just, <laughs> he just, I mean, I the fact that he tried is uh, all you need to know about Steven Adams as a player. <laughs> he just... Uh, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving is just a magician. Like, that's just a guy that's touched by the hand of God. I, I don't... I, I just don't understand how he does the things he does in the basketball floor. It's just... It's, like, beautiful to watch. And I'm sure it's infuriating if you're playing against him. 
Yeah. He's got to be one of the most frustrating players to try to have to guard. Like, is there just be so many times when you're like, okay, like this guy's not that big. I played really good defense on him and he still made the shot. Like what in the hell? I don't understand. At least like 90% of the time it looks like, you know, when it looks like he's losing the ball, it's he's not. Like <laughs> at least like five, six possessions a game. He's just doing crazy things, and you're like, oh, that's that, that's going to be a turnover. And then all of a sudden, he has the ball again, and he's alone. Like, how did that happen? Um, and I I don't even know, like, what you what, what words you would use to describe it. There was a play against the Knicks the other night that I, that I tweeted about. He, like, looked like he was losing his balance, and he put his offhand down the ground. And then, like, and Julius Randle was defending him. And it, in most cases, this is like a player is going to pick up his dribble and, like, reset and... <laughs> Kyrie literally just goes straight into a crossover, somehow dribbles the ball low into his hand That's as he takes it off the ground and then goes straight uh, and drives by Julius Randle. It's like, that's not normal. That's like closer to wizardry than basketball at that point. And uh, yeah, uh, Kyrie is special. And uh, yeah, the Nets are a really, really good basketball team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got to be the favorites to, to win the finals right now. Um, just a little more about just Jackson's mobility. There was a play against the Rockets where he blocked it. He tipped it to himself while the ball was still in the air. He took one dribble, and then he laid the basketball in. And all of this took course of the play of like three quarters of the court. I mean, that's just that's just the kind of stuff where you sit back and say, oh, my God, like a six foot 11, 20-year-old who wasn't even the starter on his high school basketball team until his junior year is doing this stuff. Like, you know, what is this guy's ceiling? Um, I mean, I, I think Jackson, you know, pretty much can be as good as he wants to be. I mean, I don't think he can be a superstar, but I mean, the guy is just an absolute freak of nature. We've made that point over and over. And I think it's finally starting to sink in a little bit of the things he needs to do on the defensive end how much effort he needs to give in a night to night out basis. Um, and again, I don't want to say he's turned the corner and definitely don't let Stan Van Gundy sit, hear you say he's turned a corner. Or the <laughs> Pelicans have turned a corner because it's just a long straight line, baby. Um, but I, th- I think you have to be encouraged by some of the stuff Jackson has done over the last two months. And Akil Alexander Walker too. I mean, I think that's, you know, right behind the point Zion thing, probably the second biggest reason to still be encouraged about this team, even with, the way things have gone in the past week is that those two guys to me, I mean, have showed real signs of being like at least rotation contributors. Yeah. And, and that play against the Rockets, you know, what happened after the block was incredibly impressive, but I think what happened before the block is kind of what we were talking about, which is he ended up on an Island with a point guard, DJ Augustine, uh, Nola proud DJ Augustine. And, you know, he was able to, to play the drive DJ tries to take a step back and Jackson has the length to go out and like tip it up in the air. And at that point, it's as good as a steal. <laughs> you know, like there should be a stat for that, uh, like a block to fast break stat, because he did it again against the uh, Nets, but, you know, earlier in the game when this was actually, or no, maybe it was against the Hawks. I can't remember, but he did that again where he blocked a three pointer, started a break. Uh, I can't remember. I think he might have thrown it to Lonzo and then he finished it with a dunk. Um, like that's, that's a basically a steal uh, at that like point. That's a, that's a scoop and score that technically goes down as a block, but I like watching Jackson Hayes play. I was thinking last night, just the percentage of like total baskets to, uh, 
like viral baskets has to be at, you know up toward the top of <laughs> of the NBA leaderboard. Like at least half of his of his dunks have been like highlight reel, uh, break the internet, you know, mourn the player he dunked on type moments. Um, and I think there's value in that, but there's also value in like he can do some unreal things on a basketball court. He just has to tie it all together. And hey. That jumper looks pretty. I know that he's not supposed to shoot three-pointers, but the it does look like Stan may have been like, okay, Jackson, if you're open, okay. <laughs> Don't go crazy, but okay. <laughs> what did you what did you say on Twitter last night? He's the greatest six foot eleven uh, Yes, he's the greatest six foot eleven uh, jump shooter in NBA history. No, <laughs> I just I pointed out, you know, maybe not in clear enough terms that most Guys 6'10 or taller don't take actual jump shots. You know, there's a lot of guys who either take set shots or, you know, like a lot of people told me, okay, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic take jump shots. They don't. They, you, you, I guess you can't technically call it a set shot because they come off the floor. It's more like, I'll call it a lift shot where like the momentum of their shot kind of carries their feet like two inches off the ground. There's very few players, you know, bigs that take legit jump shots. A guy like Anthony Davis, Michael Porter Jr., uh, Davis Bertans, another guy, you know, they actually jump. They have athletic jumpers. Um, and, I th- and that's what I see with Jackson Hayes, whether he can be a good shooter or not. I enjoy watching him shoot the basketball. I'm going to admit it. It's pretty. That's really all I had to say. It's it's a pretty jumper. And the speed with which he's pulled the trigger on those shots, to me, indicates that there has been at least some level of tacit permission given for him to shoot when he's open. Um, so I'm interested to see how that develops because, you know, you watched him at the free throw line this season and he has developed into a good free throw shooter. Um, I'm surprised when he misses, he's up over 80% and I don't know if he'll ever develop into a, you know, pound the paint type Jared Allen type center. But if there is even some form of, okay, he is a decent enough three point shooter that, you know, they have to at least account for him. That makes him a better basketball player. Um, and over the next 20 games, I think that there's merit in kind of allowing him to to test that out. Yeah, I, I think you're right that it, it did pop how little hesitation he showed um, and just how quickly and how fluid it looked. He was able to get up those threes. Um, so it's, you know, it's just something I'm going to continue monitor. It's just a small thing right now. I don't want to make a too big of a deal out of it. I think... Why he's such a fun player is something you just got at. There's a daringness to his game. Like he he is just like not afraid to, for lack of a better term, to do some wild shit out there. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of a wild man. Like he'll try to posterize people, like even really poorly thrown lobs, it seems like he's still trying to catch them and rip the rim off. I, I enjoy that element of his game. Like he's like guy is kind of like six foot 11 evil Knievel in some ways. Yeah. And that's, and that's been the way since day one. If you remember the summer league dunk, I don't even remember who the player was that he, that he, you know, destroyed, but that's probably why, because he's literally dust today. Uh, But like, that's been him. That's been his career. And you know, if there's between those highlight moments, there's consistent basketball. You have a really good, you have a really good player. You have a guy you, that you are excited to go out and watch play basketball. 
Um, I think there's a lot more development to his game than you could have. I know exactly which dunk you're talking about, by the way, with the poorly thrown lob because it came like two days, two games ago against the Rockets. Like James Johnson, like threw it like three feet behind him, and you know, as you've said before, he's used his Gumby arms to reach back and somehow get it and finish it. And yeah, or his you, shoulder joints like made of elastic. I mean, I don't understand how like how his arm can bend that no. far back. Like mine no. hurts when I try to just do that sitting in my computer chair. Right. It's like it's like a Space Jam, like Michael Jordan dunk, which you know is topical <laughs> these days. Uh, I don't know if you watched the Jazz Suns game last night, but. Chris's water bottle, Chris Paul's water bottle had a label on it that said Chris's secret stuff. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of Space Jam going on. So if there's a Space Jam 3, I think Jackson Hayes might be in it. Will you go see 2? Are you, are you planning to make that a part of your summer? Well, I have HBO Max, so I think I get it now. I like. <laughs> I think that will be a, uh, a living room screening. But, oh, yeah, of course I'll see it. I had a Space Jam-themed birthday party as a child. I'm a little <laughs> older than you. Uh, so Space Jam was like a formative part of my childhood. So this is big for me. I hope yeah. don't ruin it. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's huge, man. I'm I'm gonna go see it at the Broad Theater after uh, I get jabbed for the second time. Mm. I want I want I want the theater experience. I'm I'm pretty excited. LeBron, pretty good actor, man. And that's not even like a joke about him flopping, although no. it could be interpreted as. I mean, that that movie he was in with Bill Hader, um, mm-hmm. it's really good. Trainwreck, I think yeah, it was called Trainwreck. Train yeah. yeah. I, I, that was my takeaway from that as well, which is like, you know, the movie, uh, LeBron, solid actor. <laughs> yeah, he's got it a little bit. He's got it a little bit. I'll definitely uh, be going out to see that one. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see it, if Anthony Davis is actually a Pelican in that movie, because it sure seemed like he was in the trailer. And it would make sense because I think at the point that they were, you know, writing it, he was on the Pelicans. Um, so that'll be a, that'll be a, like a nice little, nice little twist of the knife for New yeah, Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was already a great kind of Easter egg they had in there of, um, Lola, I believe she was, she was kind of doing the D Wade thing where she threw the, uh, the alley-oop to LeBron. Mm. Um, and then she looked at the camera, the same D Wade pose. So I didn't uh, catch that, but I that. did catch Dame time. Did you catch the Dame time from the trailer? Oh no, I didn't catch Dame time. Well, it's it, so it's like Damian Lillard, but he's like a clock. <laughs> <laughs> That's great so, stuff. Man. Yeah, I think there's gonna be a there will be a lot of and like more so than the than the original, uh, which was more Looney Tunes kind of um, zeitgeist. <laughs> I think there will be a lot of you know NBA Easter eggs, like NBA level Easter eggs that NBA fans will appreciate that not everyone might get. Uh, So that's kind of what I'm looking for this time around. All right. We'll go see Space Jam. Uh, That's the message from this podcast. Well, we appreciate you guys for listening this week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Peace.